Welcome to the Physician's Financial Checkup Podcast, where we discuss the financial challenges and opportunities facing medical professionals. In this podcast, we'll discuss a variety of financial topics that are important to physicians, such as retirement planning, investing, and estate planning. We'll also interview experts in the financial services industry to get their insights on these topics. If you're a physician or a spouse of a physician, I encourage you to listen to this podcast. We will provide you with the information you need to make sound financial decisions and achieve your financial goals. Here's your host, Brent Bowden, a financial coach and certified financial planning advisor with over 15 years of experience helping medical professionals achieve their financial goals. To learn more about Brent Bowden and his services, visit brentbowden.com. Welcome to the Physician's Financial Checkup Podcast, where we delve into the financial insights that matter most to medical professionals. Today, I have the privilege of hosting David McKnight, a renowned author and expert in the financial services industry. David is a graduate of Brigham Young University and for the past 23 years has helped thousands of Americans on the road to the 0% tax bracket. He's made frequent appearances on Forbes, USA Today, New York Times, Fox Business, CNBC, Kiplinger's, and numerous other national publications. With his best-selling book, The Power of Zero, in 2018, it has sold over 350,000 copies. And for two consecutive years, Forbes magazine has ranked it, The Power of Zero, as a top 10 financial resource in the country. It's also recently made into a full-length documentary film entitled The Power of Zero, The Tax Train is Coming. And his follow-up books, Look Before You Lurk, and tax-free income for life have empowered countless of individuals to navigate the complex world of finance and taxation. So join us as we explore the wisdom of David McKnight brings to the table on today's show. Welcome, David. Thanks for having me. Good to have you on the show today. Appreciate appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So want to jump right in and uh, just have you share a little bit uh, about your journey in the financial services from BYU. Yeah, no, so I've been, uh, this is the only thing I've ever done. I graduated from BYU and I got into the financial services industry uh, back in 1997. And it's interesting, um, back in roughly that time, um, not not long after Bill Clinton stood before the nation in the, um, one of his last speeches before the nation, before he left office. He says, look, I got some great news. The national debt's only $5 trillion. We've got budget surpluses for the next 25 years. So he really felt like he was leaving the country in a really solid fiscal you know, trajectory before he left office. It's sort of interesting what's happened since then. We've accumulated $27 trillion, almost $28 trillion of debt, actually equally among you know, spread between Republicans and Democrats. So we've got equal opportunity um, debt accumulators here. But we've, you know, that rosy picture that that Bill Clinton painted um, so many years ago has faded into a more more of an apocalyptic landscape. We're $33 trillion of debt, and um, that's slated to grow to $53 trillion over the next 10 years alone. And so back in 20, um, I'd say 20... 11 or so, I became very acquainted with a guy named David Walker. He had been the comptroller general of the federal government for 10 years under Bush and Clinton. And 
he didn't buy into this these budget surpluses. He didn't buy into this idea that the picture was all that rosy because he's he's good at studying history. He's good at math, and he could see that the unfunded obligations for Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid were going to blow up as time wore on. He he, he appreciated uh, this demogra- demographic glitch known as the baby boomers, and he knew that the baby boomers didn't have nearly as many children as their parents did. In fact, they had almost 30 million fewer children. And so he knew that there would come a time when these unfunded obligations for Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid um, would go unfunded. And that's sort of what we're experiencing right now. In the next, um, you know, I believe 2032, Social Security is going to have to have a 23% across the board cut. I believe it's 2027. So uh, Medicare has a, has a similar sort of a financial shortfall. And so back in 2011 or so, I started to become acquainted with all of these things. They, there was no immediate crisis at the time. And um, I started to realize that as Americans, we have adopted this conventional um, you know, financial worldview that says that we should put money into tax-deferred vehicles like IRAs and 401ks, get deductions, get them at historically low tax rates, by the way, and postpone the payment of those taxes till a point sometime in the future when we believed that tax rates would be lower. And mathematically, that made sense back in the 70s and the 80s when tax rates were at, you know, not quite historical highs, but they were really, really high. It made sense to get, a, for example, a tax deduction at 70% with the expectation that you would pay a tax at, say, 20% or so in retirement. That that math arbitrage made a lot of sense. But but what David Walker's predicting was that that wasn't that that sort of an outdated paradigm that we're now going into a future where tax rates could be, according to his book, Come Back America, that he wrote in 2010. He, he predicted that by 2030, tax rates would have to double to keep our country solvent. So we're now marching into a future where um, the paradigm has shifted and it shifted in a dramatic way. And yet still, most Americans, if you look at the cumulative Retirement balances across the country, 95% are in tax-deferred accounts like 401ks and IRAs. Only 5% are in tax-free accounts like Roth IRAs. So my goal in writing The Powers Here is just to sort of raise a warning cry that this conventional paradigm that we're all used to, we're all addicted to that tax seduction, that it may not necessarily make make sense to, to, to adopt that paradigm, that it might make better sense to pay taxes and do so at historically low tax rates. So that by the time tax rates do rise dramatically over time, we've done all the heavy lifting. We can then take that money out tax-free. So that was the main message of the power of zero. And I wrote that about 10 years ago. And I think the message has grown only more dire uh, in the intervening years. So what's your kind of outlook, I guess? You know, obviously there's some uh, budget changes that are going to be coming up uh, that Congress has to take a look at. And obviously you kind of display we've got some kind of time tax bombs coming up. You know, what would you say, like looking out the next decade, does that look like and where would you suggest kind of people start putting that those retirement funds? Well, we know the tax rates go up in 2026. They revert back to what they were in 2017. I'm not so much worried about that because, you know, we're, we're talking tinkering with tax rates on the margins. You know, the 24 becomes 28. Uh, the 22 becomes 25. And those are the tax brackets that affect most Americans in retirement. Not so much worried about those increases. I'm worried about what's likely to happen in 2030, which is where David Walker, like I said, he's very good at math. He's projected all this stuff out. He says 2030 is really the date when we have to really worry because there's going to be this confluence of 
um, you know, social security, Medicare, the, the, the need for uh, higher, you know, the need for more revenue. All of these things are going to put a squeeze on the federal budget. They're going to have to get more revenue from somewhere. They're not likely to dramatically cut Social Security and Medicare. These are the types of things that get you voted out of office. Uh, so they're, they're, you know, they're, they're likely to look for in all quarters for more revenue. And um, when they look at the 36 to 40 trillion dollars sitting in IRAs and 401ks and all they have to do is raise taxes on those accounts to historically normal levels. Um, you know, a lot of people don't realize that in the, in the, in the 40s, tax rates, marginal tax rates are as high as 94%. Throughout the entire decade of the 70s, they were high, as high as 70%. We just assume tax rates have always been low. But if we study history, we know that the federal government tends to raise and lower tax rates based on whatever their needs are. And I don't see things changing in that regard uh, over the next 10 years. Um, I do think it's significant that um, we've already basically decided that we're okay with averaging $2 trillion per year of additional debt every year between now and 2033. And we're also okay with $3 trillion of debt for 2033 and beyond. So, uh, you know, it just gets worse and worse. It gets more and more apocalyptic as time goes on, yet we as Americans keep plowing money hand over fist into IRAs and 401ks because we love that tax deduction. And we just assume we're going to be in a lower tax bracket in retirement. So, so, so in short, it's just going to get worse from here on out. Um, mathematically speaking, there's no arguing that point. And I think that more and more experts are coming over onto my, you know, into my camp, my way of thinking, David Walker's way of thinking, Ed Slot's way of thinking. Um, I, I did a YouTube video on my own channel where I gave, uh, I showed eight experts who all are predicting that tax rates in the future are going to be dramatically higher than they are today. So um, it's really hard to argue the point. And, you know, my whole job is to sort of get that message out. Well, and, you know, a lot of our audience is healthcare professionals. And obviously, they're not in that middle range. They tend to be in the higher tax brackets. And I, I know, you know, from reading some of your stuff, you still think those higher tax brackets today go higher. Uh, but, you know, are there any specific tips to optimize their tax strategies? You know, they're still in a decently high tax bracket, but I think obviously down the road, uh, a lot of them retiring may be in a super high tax bracket, especially if their cost of living doesn't change and, you know, they, they still like to do the things they do. Yeah, if you look at the power of zero, um, the tax brackets that I really talk about are the, those middle tax brackets, the 22 and the 24. I think the 24 is the sweet spot in the Trump tax cuts. Um, so once you start getting into the 32, the 35 and the 37, my message becomes a little bit less persuasive because essentially, particularly if you're in a state like California or New York or even Minnesota, what I'm asking you to do is forego a tax deduction at 37% plus a state tax deduction as high as 13% if you're in California, so a 50% tax deduction. I'm asking you to forego a 50% tax deduction with the expectation that somewhere down the road, you could avoid a tax that's even higher. So I tend to not really recommend that for people that are in really high tax brackets. My, my strategies tend to be more palatable for people that are in those middle income tax brackets, 22, 24. I tend to focus with people that are in those higher marginal tax brackets. Okay, above and beyond what you're saving and your 
you know, 401k, IRA, whatever pension plan you have, um, is there any money left over? And if so, what do people tend to, where do people tend to uh, grow that money? They tend to grow it in their taxable bucket. Maybe it's a brokerage account, what have you. So it spills over into that brokerage account. So I tend to focus on how we can grow those dollars more efficiently versus let's forego a tax deduction today when you're at your highest earning years. So that's really where I tend to focus. I tend to focus on the taxable bucket, those brokerage accounts. How can we grow that money more efficiently versus let's um, change your your strategy as it regards your, your retirement plan? Which brings me to kind of a follow-up book that you did, Look Before You Lerp. You know, that one focuses a little bit on the uh, indexed universal life policies and kind of how that might fit into those extra dollars that are left over. You know, talk a little bit about that book and exactly kind of how that works. I know you've done a great job of making that into a really small idea. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you're in higher marginal tax brackets, if you make more than $228,000 of modified adjusted gross income, you can no longer do a Roth IRA. You could do a backdoor Roth, but that's only going to be, you know, $6,500. If you're younger than 50, $7,500. If you're over age 50, that's not going to be all that meaningful for somebody who's making, say, you know, 600 to a million dollars a year. So that's where uh, we talk about what I call the life insurance retirement plan. That's chapter five of my book, The Power of Zero. So really the Power of Zero is designed to convince people to get to the 0% tax bracket and the consequences of not doing so. And to introduce the idea of the life insurance retirement plan. But the, the idea behind my book, Look Before You Lerp, is to make the case that the LIRP, or what some people call cash value life insurance, is a viable strategy to help build tax-free wealth over time in a way that sort of mimics the Roth IRA without any of the limitations of the Roth IRA. It is, at the end of, a, at the, end of the day, it is an insurance policy. But it can be structured such that the expenses over time are equal to or less than what you might pay in a brokerage account, but the money grows tax-free. And so I also make the case in that book that not all LIRPs are created equal and that if you are planning on using the LIRP as part of a balanced, comprehensive approach to tax-free retirement, that um, it matters which LIRP you choose. And I make the analogy that starting an LIRP um, is a bit like getting married. And uh, nobody gets married without having sort of a laundry list of qualities they're looking for in a spouse, whether you admit that or not, that's the case. Everybody says, you know, I, I, these are the, these are the, this is a short list of things I'm looking for in a spouse. I make the case that since marriages work best when it's till death do you part, IULs or LIRPs also work best when you keep it until death do you part. And if that's the case, you should be using a similar sort of strategy as you might when getting married. You should have a laundry list of things you're looking for in an LIRP. And I make the case in that book that the IUL index universal life is the cash value life insurance alternative that gives you the highest likelihood of reaching the 0% tax bracket with as little heartburn uh, as possible along the way. And so um, I go into eight or so qualities that your, your, your IUL should have and the consequences of not having those, those attributes. And just talk a little bit about so the difference. There's tons of different types of cash value life insurance policies. You know, why do you like the IUL over kind of the older whole life policy 
and you know, what makes that different. Obviously, there's there's also variable ones out there for people who want to be a little riskier, but you know, the IUL tends to be one that I like a lot for some features. But what's your opinion on that? Um, you know, I, I like the IUL over say whole life, and I I've got a lot of people that read Power of Zero who who utilize whole life. So I'm not historically been one to dump on whole life. I think it has a place. But one of the issues with whole life are the loan provisions. So the, the question becomes, how do you get money out of these policies tax-free? And th the reality is the best way to do it is by way of what we call a, a policy loan. And basically what you're doing is you're taking a loan from the life insurance company. They're charging you a rate of interest. And at the same time, the insurance company is taking money out of your cash value and they're putting in what I call a loan collateral account. And they're charging you a, sorry, they're crediting you a rate of interest. So you've got two sides of the ledger here. You got the insurance company that's that's charging you a rate of interest, and then they're crediting you back a rate of interest in the money that's been placed into that loan collateral account. I've seen life insurance policies where they charge you four, uh, they they charge you eight percent, but they credit you back only four percent. So in, in other words, there's a net cost of borrowing of four percent, and that doesn't seem like a big deal, but that interest grows and compounds over time. And if you don't pay that interest back at the end of the year, they subtract it from your cash value. And then the next year you take another loan, they charge you another 4%, but you haven't paid back the loan from the first year. So now you're paying the interest from the first year and the interest from the second year. And that snowballs and compounds to the point where it could really um, force you to run out of money in your life insurance policy 10 to 15 years faster than you were anticipating, at which time you get this tax bill and you lose your death benefit. So it can be really bad. It's like it's like getting divorced. You know, a lot of bad stuff happens when you get divorced. You don't want this to happen to your life insurance policy. So I make the case that that the only time you should really um, be married to a life insurance policy, you know, for the rest of your life is if you have a 0% loan provision. Now, I got to warn you, some companies out there say, we'll start you at zero, but we reserve the right to change it to one, two, four, eight, one, you know, at our leisure. That's no good either. Cause if you give a life insurance company 40 years to make up their mind, their foxes in your chicken coop. And I can guarantee that at some point in time, they're going to change things in their, in their favor. So I really prefer LIRPs that have a guaranteed 0% loan, ironclad loan provision. It's guaranteed in the contract. They can never ever change it. Um, because you want that loan provision to be tax free and cost-free. All loan provisions are tax-free, but they're not all cost-free. And so the devil's in the details when it comes to those loan provisions. And IULs um, have certain, IULs with certain carriers have guaranteed loan provisions, 0% loan provisions, whole life policies do not. And if the goal is to build money up so that somewhere down the road, you can take it out and spend it on your lifestyle at a period in time when tax rates are likely to be dramatically higher than they are today, then the loan provision really becomes almost the most important provision in the entire contract because it determines how much of your money you can get and at what price. So that's why I like IULs, particularly IULs that have guaranteed 0% loan provisions. And I think another provision that, you know, I always like to talk to, uh, to potential clients about is just, you know, medical professionals are very busy. You know, they're, they're moving all the time and, uh, you know, don't have a, a ton of extra time to do some of that legwork. And market volatility is another thing that comes into play for them, managing as many risks as they can. And I think an IUL does a great job of it. 
in contrast to some of the other cash value life insurance policies? Yeah, so um, what, what does the IUL purport to do? The IUL purports to give you exposure to the upside of the market with a guarantee against market loss. That's, it's nothing exotic here. So, so you're getting exposure to the upward movement of a stock market index, say the S&P 500, and you have a guarantee that you won't lose money as a result of the market. Now you may have a flat year in which they, the market went down and they credit you a zero, but they still take out the insurance expenses. So you're not guaranteed to lose money um, in any given year because you could have a 0% credit and they're still taking out the insurance expenses, but they guarantee that you'll never lose money in the market, okay? And so um, what sort of rate of return might someone be able to expect in their IUL over the course of a lifetime? Well, it's not going to be stock market-like returns. It's going to be bond-like returns. And what I typically tell people is between 5 to 7% net of fees over the life of the program. Well, guess what? If you can get 5 to 7% net of fees without taking any more market risk than what you're accustomed to taking in your savings account, that's a pretty safe and productive way to grow at least a portion of your portfolio. Now, let's go back to your doctors and your healthcare professionals that are growing money outside of their retirement plan inside that brokerage account. And they're in a high marginal tax bracket. What, let's assume they could get a 6% rate of return in their IUL. What rate of return would they have to get in their stock market portfolio in that taxable bucket? Assuming it's all short-term capital gains, what rate of return would they have to get in that, in that bucket to be able to eclipse that 6% rate of return in the, um, in the IUL? Well, you know, you do the whole thing where you you divide 6% by one minus their marginal tax bracket, and that gets you to somewhere on the order of 9%, okay, for these people in the higher marginal tax rate. So, so in other words, if you were to have the choice between an IUL versus growing money in a stock portfolio in your taxable bucket, your brokerage account, how, what, what rate of return would you be required to get to, in the end, net more money than you would if you just invested in IUL? You'd have to get 9%, and you have to take all the risk commensurate to that 9% rate of return. And so now all of a sudden you're saying, wow, I can get tax-free growth. Even if it's growing only at 6%, that's probably superior to what I could get in a stock portfolio. Plus I get a death benefit that also doubles as long-term care. And so that this is why I think for people that you're addressing day in and day out, the IUL becomes a very, very um, compelling alternative for people that are growing money in that taxable bucket. Yeah, absolutely. And that's 9% net of fees. So that's right. If you have an advisor doing that for you, then uh, you still have to account for that. So that's right. Yeah. Well, shifting a little bit. So we talked a lot, uh, I know, in your book about kind of the, the tax ramifications, uh, as well as you know some of the uh, strategies that you look at. What's your thoughts on building a team for professionals? So, you know, financial planning, a lot of times doesn't take just one person to be able to, to exhibit the best experts. You know, who do you like to include on your team when you're working with clients? Well, I think you have to have like-minded professionals. Um, not all CPAs, for example, um, buy into the tax-free paradigm. So um, think, about, think about what CPAs do. They're in the business of saving you taxes today. They know that they have a higher likelihood of keeping their job if they can say, get you a tax refund at the end of the year or help you maximize your tax deductions on the, on the front end. Well, guess what? 
my particular particular view of the you know of the retirement universe is not necessarily focused on getting, on maximizing tax deductions at historically low tax rates so that we can postpone the payment of those taxes till a point sometime in the future. So I think having a CPA, if you're interested in shielding yourself from the impact of higher taxes, having a CPA that's cognizant of that paradigm or cognizant of the, you know, the, the fiscal landscape of our country moving forward that also believes that tax rates in the future are likely to be dramatically higher than they are today, I think it's important to have um, those types of people on board. Same, same as as far as um, you know, attorneys go. I think it's just important to make sure that this this team that you're building around you is um, is like minded. That they're on the same page when it comes to because the power of zero tax free paradigm is diametrically opposed, if you will, to the tax deferred paradigm. The tax deferred paradigm. Get all the deductions that you can today because you're going to be in a lower tax bracket in retirement. That's exactly the opposite of how we see things going down over the next 20 to 30 years. And so you, you need a you need an attorney, you need a, a CPA, um, but you need these people to all be on the same page. And so I usually recommend you giving a copy of the powers ear to them and then just standing back and seeing seeing how they react. Right. And a lot of people read that book and they have they have an epiphany and they they change right there on the spot. Yeah, well, it, it's certainly interesting in the foreword to have Ed Slot on there. It, it certainly helps give some uh, gravitas to the book. So his opinions right. are always well respected in the in the CPA landscape. Right now, and 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 people say um, you're probably familiar with the white coat investor mm -hmm. since he's he runs in the same space. He'll say, you know, name one. One retirement expert out there that is in favor of cash value life insurance, I'd say I'm happy to. And I quote Ed Slot, you know, he's got a whole PBS special on why cash value life insurance can do some things that nothing else can do. He says that cash value life insurance and Roth IRAs will be more will do more to minimize minimize or eliminate taxes from your retirement plan and from your heirs, um, you know, from the taxes your heirs would have to pay than any other combination of investments. And so Ed Slot is very um, ahead of his time when it comes to those things, which is why I asked Ed Slot to do the um, to do the forward for my book. Sounds perfect. So let's uh, look a little bit beyond just kind of the technical aspects of uh, the tax-free retirement and look where you learn. What kind of like mind shift things do you have to do or habits do you have to change to really start thinking about what's your long-term financial wellness uh, and those tax implications? You know, what do you what do you think it mentally? So we talk a lot about kind of behavioral finance and things that you have to think about. Obviously, life insurance is a long term investment. That's something you're going to do and try to take out money in six months. So what does that take and, and kind of habits you have to form around committing to more of a tax free retirement? Well, one of the big things that you from a psychological standpoint is you have to be prepared to pay a tax before the IRS absolutely requires it of you. And this can be a huge roadblock for a lot of different people because we're basically saying, let's prepay a tax. Let's, pre let's pay a tax because what, what do most people do? They wait until they're forced to take money out by way of those RMDs and that's when they pay the tax. And what we're saying is, look, we're sitting on the train tracks. 
we can see that tax rate train off in the distance. It's bearing down on us. We know roughly when it's going to get here. We know roughly what the consequences are going to be when it does arrive. Let's sort of, in a very premeditated way, systematically reposition our assets off the train tracks into these safe havens that are called tax-free retirement accounts. And let's do it in a very premeditated sort of a way. The problem is, even if we can make the case that tax rates down the road could be twice as high as they are today, people have a hard time pulling the trigger. And so you just have to be, uh, in terms of psychologically how you can embrace this sort of a paradigm, you have to be willing to pay a tax prior to when the IRS absolutely requires it of you. And that can be a um, beyond the pale for some people. Um, the other thing is you have to be willing to jettison a lot of these false narratives that maybe you've heard over the years from the likes of Susie Orman, uh, Dave Ramsey, Clark Howard, White Coat Investor, um, Ramit Sadie from Netflix. These guys that say that um, they paint everything with a broad brush. They have a very unnuanced approach to tax-free retirement planning. Uh, Dave Ramsey, for example, says don't. Uh, anybody who does cash value life insurance either hasn't investigated it enough, or if they have and they still do it, they're just a dupe. So, so you have these, these financial gurus. I'm actually writing a book on this right now, Financial Gurus, how they've sp they paint everything with a really broad brush. And so they have no nuance and they're one size fits all financial planning recommendations. And so sometimes we have those old outdated paradigms that are cluttering up our thinking. And what I say is the best way to cut through all of the um, unnuanced one size fits all recommendations is to look at the math. Take a look at the math. Compare, for example, the IUL versus a, a typical bond portfolio or compare it to your brokerage account. Which one is likely, mathematically speaking, to push you further ahead? And the best way to cut through all that nonsense is just to look at the math, which is why I think it's so important to do a like a before and after comparison. This is where how long your money would last under the tax deferred paradigm. And this is how long your money would last under the tax free paradigm. And whichever one pushes you further ahead, that's the one you adopt. So I, I know you've been doing this long enough. You've probably got some uh, clients that have moved over from accumulation phase to distribution phase and are successfully uh, in that tax free zone. Just from a visualization, because it's it's hard for a lot of people to understand that you know they retire and don't have to really pay taxes again. What does that look like for a client for you? Yeah, so you're gonna. Um, you, I say this in all of my. I do about between fifty and a hundred presentations to groups across the country per year, and what I always tell them at the end of my presentations, I say, look. I've been doing this for 25 years, and one of the things I've concluded is that it is impossible to get to the 0% tax bracket by utilizing just one stream of tax-free income. To get to the 0% tax bracket typically requires between four and six different streams of tax-free income, none of which show up on the IRS's radar, but all of which contribute to you being in the 0% tax bracket. So let's list what some of these tax-free streams of income are. Um, we love the Roth IRA. We love the Roth 401k. We love the Roth conversion. We love taking money out of your IRA up to your standard deduction without paying any tax at all. A lot of people don't realize they, they make the mistake of converting all their money to the tax-free bucket. And then when it comes to retirement, they don't have any, any taxable income left. And so that standard deduction sits idle. You should, it's a married couple, you should probably have, leave a, between three hundred fifty and $400,000 in that bucket. Um, 
you've got the LIRP, and if you can keep your provisional income low enough, then you have your Social Security tax-free. So what we're, what we're describing here is a strategy that calls for between four and six different streams of tax-free income. And so the idea here is to take advantage of every nook and cranny in the IRS tax code, every tax-free nook and cranny in the IRS tax code. And if you find yourself in a position right now where you have all of your money in the tax, I get to tell a quick story. Not long ago at the end of my presentation, a lady comes up to me and she says, Dave, I got all my money sitting in the tax deferred bucket. I'm in a really bad mood. I said, why are you in a bad mood? And she says, because, you know, there's nothing I can do. It's all sitting in the tax-free bucket. I said, let me make sure I understand this correctly. You contributed to your tax deferred bucket at a period in time when tax rates were much higher than they are today. You got a deduction of those higher rates for doing so. You now have a you know, a, a, a three-year period of time during which to take advantage of historically low tax rates. If you go out to 2030, it's even longer. During which to take advantage of historically low tax rates so you can get those tax-deferred assets systematically repositioned to tax-free so that by the time tax rates go up for good, you've done all the heavy lifting and you can take that money out tax-free. I says, is that why you're in, in such a bad mood? She says, well, gosh, Dave, I never really thought about it that way. So most people, frankly, 95% of Americans have the lion's share of their money in that tax deferred bucket. And so if you're at the stage in your life where you're starting to think about stuff like this and you, you can see the tax rate train looming off in the distance, you know how hard it's going to hurt when it comes, roughly when it's going to arrive, then you need to just start thinking about systematically repositioning that money. And this is why I tell people, I say, you want to shift that money slowly enough that you don't rise into a tax bracket that gives you heartburn. But you want to do it quickly enough that you get all the heavy lifting done before tax rates go up for good. And that's so. So the idea is to optimize, to stretch the tax obligation out of, over as long as it makes sense so that you pay as little tax along the way. But you get all the heavy lifting done before tax rates potentially double or 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 just rise dramatically. And so that's really what we're talking about here. And obviously, everybody's different, but we're talking we're talking Roth conversions. We're talking maybe repositioning a portion of that that conversion, peeling it off and sticking it into uh, an IUL so that you can get a death benefit that doubles as long-term care. You're getting safe and productive growth that maybe takes pl the place of your bond portfolio. So so those are the types of things that we think about when, when people um, are at this stage in their game when they want to protect themselves. So it kind of leads me to the next question. If, if there's one part or one piece of advice to take away from you know, your books and your talks, what would that be to medical professionals specifically and why? Well, I, I guess I'm going to just lump the medical professionals into everybody else I talk to. And that's just to be to start paying more attention to the fiscal condition of our country. Um, when we, uh, you know, I, I did a movie um, called The Powers Year of the Tax Train is Coming, where we crisscrossed the country and we interviewed all the most important experts in the nation on the on the national debt as it relates to the future of tax rates. And they're all saying, look, when we borrow money, we are agreeing to a tax in the future, okay? The more money we borrow today, the more we are implicitly agreeing to paying a tax in the future, okay? So we just need to affect this paradigm shift wherein we, we recognize that the more we accumulate debt as a country, the more likely my personal tax rate is to be dramatically higher even 10 years from now. And so, and 
every year that goes by where we fail to take advantage of historically low tax rates is potentially a year beyond 2030 when we could be forced to pay the highest tax rates we're likely to see in our lifetime. Folks, this is, you know, people say, well, we'll just print our way out of the print our way out of the problem. Well, most of the debt that's going to be accumulating over the next 30 years is because of unfunded obligations for Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. All three of those things are tied to inflation by law. They're, they're required to index them for inflation by law. And, um, and when we say we're going to print our way out of the problem, what happens when we print money? That increases inflation. So it increases, if we print money to pay for the unfunded obligations, we're also going to be increasing the expense of these programs commensurately. So it's like a dog chasing its tail and never really, never really catches up. And so there's only so many options left. You can cut Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid, or you can raise revenue. I think ultimately what's going to happen is going to be some combination of the two. But either way, you're not going to escape the reality that tax rates are going to go up. And if that's the, if that's the case, then we really should not let a year go by where we're not taking advantage of these historically low tax rates. Now, does that necessarily mean that all of your healthcare professional clients should be doing Roth conversions? Not necessarily because they're already in a really high marginal tax bracket and they may be in a lower tax bracket later on, but it does mean they need to focus a little bit more on how they're growing and compounding the money in their taxable bucket. There may be better alternatives to what they're doing. I think it's a good point. We talk a lot about just planning, knowing exactly when you need to make changes, when can changes occur. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to take advantage of all those today. It might not be the best time, but I think if you have a consistent, comprehensive plan, it'll get you there at some point. So love that. That's right. Well, David, I certainly have appreciated talking with you, getting some some great advice. Is there anything else that we should know about uh, your your movie, your books, your talks that we need to check out? Um, I always I always joke um, that if you want to check out my YouTube channel and you really want to learn these um, these uh, these principles, I, I tell people. If, if you watch my YouTube channel for six months, you'll turn into David McKnight um, only without the seven kids. But if you want the seven kids, I can show you how to do that, too. So um, so so really, um, if you want to learn about this and it sounds like you've done a great job of embracing this in your own practice. But, you know, read my read my books. Um, YouTube channel and, and you can stream that movie pretty much wherever you stream movies, The Power Zero. Uh, we did that back in 2018, so the numbers have changed ever so slightly in the interim, particularly because of COVID. We had to borrow $6 trillion during COVID, so the debt ramped up. Everything you see in the movie is much worse, and uh, it's much worse today than what, what you see in the movie. Um, but, yeah, those are some good resources if people really want to sort of wrap their brain around this stuff. That sounds great, and we'll put those in the show notes so that uh, everybody can link and, and check those out. So, David, it's been a pleasure talking with you and having you on the show. Thanks. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Physician Financial Checkup Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your favorite platform and leave a review. You can also find more information on BrentBowden.com.
The information contained in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not be construed as financial advice. The opinions expressed are solely those of the host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of any other individual or organization. You should carefully consider your investment objectives, risk tolerance, and time horizon before making any investment decisions. If you are seeking financial advice, you should consult with a qualified financial advisor who can assess your individual circumstances and needs.